0: we talked about shifting in our humanization and, and how we see people and the subtlety of the dehumanization of people in our workplaces. And I, no one shows up to work. Again, I know all of you. I know you're not doing this at all. No one shows up to work and intentionally dehumanizes people. That's not what it's about. But at a very subtle level, Sometimes we do dehumanize people. That's what we talked about last episode. And I'm not going to repeat everything we talked about. But I want this kind of running in the background as we walk through this next part. Um, we talked about answering some questions. Why do they come to work? And sometimes we believe people come to work strictly for a paycheck. And, and my belief is that if that's our fundamental belief system, then we can see people as objects, not as people. And they just become machines and so we, in a in a very subtle way, kind of dehumanize them. Um, our responses with people sometimes can be a little dehumanizing. The labels that we give to people, now they change from being a human to being whatever label we've applied to them, and it just makes it difficult then to use our influence to get really cool things accomplished. Anyway, there, there are many ways that we do this. That's what we talked about last episode. Today, I want to talk about shifting in our flexibility how we shift our leadership in our flexibility and here's the underlying statement that I want to make and let this kind of rest and just kind of percolate underneath the surface as we walk through the rest of this one size does not fit all and I think all of us know that at a cognitive level I'm not so sure that in an everyday practice and in an everyday context, we always stay aware of that. One size does not fit all. Now, I have noticed that I've been using this phrase and this statement a lot lately. Um, and, and and it's not an excuse. I'm telling you, I've, I've worked with a lot of people this year already, man. A lot. And I keep hearing this come up over and over and over again. What is the enemy? What is the biggest proponent of not being flexible? Why is it that sometimes we just go this one size fits all across the board? And obviously if we were in person, I'd get your answers. We're not doing that because we're not in person. But what is that? My belief is one of the main reasons is busy. And busy is your enemy. Just decided a few days ago, I'm actually making a shirt. Busy is my enemy. And when we get busy, it's easier then to just lead everybody the same way, treat everybody the same way, avoid the shift in flexibility, because quite frankly, we just don't have the time to deal with it. So we pretty much, and we've heard this forever. We pretty much want to treat people the way we want to be treated. We call that the golden rule. It's not actually the golden rule. The golden rule came from what Jesus said in the Bible. We have kind of distorted that a little bit. It's not exactly what he said. He didn't say treat other people the way you want to be treated. He said something a little bit different than that. But that's where we've gotten the golden rule. So it's easy then to just, because we get busy, just go, yeah, I'm going to treat everybody the way I want to be treated. Well, guess what? Probably not everybody wants to be treated the way you want to be treated. And therein lies the issue, and that's why we've got to take the time to shift in our flexibility. And, and again, you're going to, have to put this in your own context because it's not even just leading the people at work. This is like this; is, these are the kids that you're raising. If you've got multiple kids, it's the kids that you raise. I ask this question all the time: How many of you have multiple kids? A lot of people do. How many of you raised them the same way? No, you can't. Because not all of them respond to the same thing. And if you don't have kids, well, you got brothers and sisters. And and mom and dad didn't raise you all the same way. Now, your your parenting principles did not change. Your parenting principles stay the same, but how you practice those principles has to flex and has to change based on what these people are going to respond to. And, And that's just something that I see in our leadership that sometimes we just simply don't do. And again, I, don't, I think at a cognitive level, above the surface level, we're like, yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. But in everyday practice, are we really doing this? Are we really shifting our approach depending on what the person needs, what they expect, and how they respond to certain elements of leadership that we're trying to give them You know, day in and day out? So some of this comes from a cognitive bias of what's called a false consensus effect, now the interesting thing about this, this there, Wikipedia says there's about 175 or more cognitive biases, and I don't know if you're familiar with what a cognitive bias is, but all of us deal with them. All of us have them, and they run deep below your awareness level. Uh, and and but it, but it's this it's this bias that we have that just runs constantly. That kind of guides our thinking. It guides our approach. It guides kind of uh, the the way we. Uh, communicate to people, the way we see people, the way we see a lot of things. Anyway, these cognitive biases run deep below the surface. There's one called the false consensus effect. And basically what the false consensus effect is about is we overestimate how much others are like us. And everybody does it. Again, we're not doing this in a, at, at, at a conscious level because we know it's not true. But sometimes we're shocked to find out how many people are really not like us in our belief systems, uh, in our values, in our characteristics, our likes or dislikes, our experiences. Our reactions are different. We're shocked sometimes when people don't react. Like you see something, and you go, whoa, that is incredible. And you look at somebody else, they're going like, yeah, I mean, that, that's okay. And you're like, are you kidding me? It's like everybody all be excited about that. And they go, yeah, I'm really not that excited about that. And you go, that's crazy. Because you're expecting everybody to be as excited as you are. I'm that way with sixty five Chevy Impala's. I think they're the greatest car in the world. I want one. Deb doesn't think they're the greatest car in the world. She does not respond the same way I do. So therefore, I believe she should. My mom my mom dealt severely with this false consensus effect. And she really believed that everybody kind of thought and saw things the way she did. And I, I, my mom's gone now, but I'm telling you, she was one of my best friends. And, you know, I, biologically, I'm an only child and we were tight, man. But I tell her all the time, I'd say, Mom, not everybody sees it that way. Oh, don't tell me. Of course they do. Mom, not everybody really is an Elvis fan. Don't tell me everybody's not an Elvis fan. Everybody, of course, is an Elvis fan. And she's like, she just could not fathom, she could not grasp the fact that really not everybody is truly an Elvis fan, especially like you are, Mom. She couldn't get it. And so this is false. Uh, this false consensus effect. There was a study done on a college campus. This this is a this is a fun one. Study done on a college campus, and they asked students to wear a sign that's around campus that says, eat at Joe's, eat at Joe's. 53% agreed to wear the sign, and those 53% estimated that 65% of others would wear the sign. They said, oh yeah, way more than half people wear this sign. Okay, you got that? 47% said, no, I'm not wearing the sign. And they said, well, how many people? other people do you think is not going to wear their sign? They said, oh, most, like 69% is not going to wear the sign. <laughs> so it's just what you think is what we have a tendency to believe others think. Therefore, there's no flexibility. There's no movement. And why would there be? Because everybody's seeing it and thinking it and responding and everything else, you know, kind of the way I do. This false consensus effect. Um, we have a biased exposure to information and we spend more time with people At an unknowing level, we spend more time with people who share our opinions than not. Like we're not seeking out, hanging out with people that have way different opinions than us. We normally, by nature, hang out with people that share the same opinions as us. Um, It's easier to think about our own way than it is about somebody else's way. And then there's a focus of attention. Where does our attention go? And, And we are more focused on what we are thinking and what we are doing than what others are thinking and what others may be doing because this is our way so why wouldn't everybody just simply do it this way we here's another one we know our story part of this false consensus effect is we know our story and we know all the nuances that go along with our story you see it but we don't know other people's stories. And we don't know the nuances that go along with their story, even if the stories are somewhat similar. And so even when we do think of other stuff, we anchor it in our own experience before we really understand their experience. Here, Let me give you an example of this. Um, this is a really fun thing to do. I've been doing this a lot, especially when I have a mixture of millennials and boomers in the room. This is always kind of fun. So I look at millennials and and, and obviously I'm just When I'm live and in person with people, I'm speculating who's a millennial, who's not. It's pretty easy because I'm, you know, old, and so I can kind of spot a young person. So I'll look at a millennial and I say, "Okay, where were you on September 11th, 2001?" Guy the other day just said I was in second grade. All right, what happened? He said, "Well, we turned on the television and we watched on television." Second grader, television in the classroom. When I was in second grade, if you wanted television in the classroom. You rolled it in on a cart, and it weighed 400 pounds. It took four people to roll the television in on a cart. No, not them. They just turned the television on. They're watching television. Say, all right, where were you? This other kid, he said, well, he said, I was in junior high. He said, I was in seventh grade. What happened? He said, well, they took us in this big room, and they set us down, and then they told us what was going on, and then we watched some of it on television. Okay, where were you? I was in high school. I was a senior in high school. So, okay. Then I'll look at some of the older people, you know, more in my generation. So where were you? I was at work. Where were you? I was at work. And I'm going around the room. Where were you? I was at work. So is it possible? Is it possible? And I'm not telling you it is truth for everybody. I'm asking, is it possible that when these kids, and excuse that expression, if you're a millennial and you're listening to this, I don't mean that you're a kid, but You were when this happened. When these kids are sitting in school and they're watching people lose their lives and all they did that day was what? Go to work. But the boomers were already at work. They already have a context of what work is like. They know that work is not that way every day, but these kids are watching this and psychologists will tell us that in the first 16 years of our lives is when lenses are formed of how we're going to see the world in every form politics religion work is it possible that maybe it kind of has a way of changing how a millennial is going to see work for the rest of their life we already knew it we're already at work we know work's not that way but see they don't and they're sitting there going like well work's important and everything but i don't know if it's worth losing my life over I'm not saying it is. I'm saying, is it possible? But see, that's one of the things that we don't really... This is that false consensus effect. Well, this is how I responded to it. Well, everybody knows it works out that way. Well, yeah, you do if you're already at work, but you don't when you're in seventh grade or when you're in second grade. Do you see it? So how do we really... Do we really understand you know, how people are seeing things and what people are thinking about things? And so, therefore, we have to change our approach... And we have to continually shift our flexibility and our leadership to do what's going to work. Because again, one size does not fit all. And sometimes we have a strong tendency to believe that it does. Again, not at a cognitive level, but at a very subconscious level. Sheila Murray Bethel said this in her book, New Breed of a Leader. I quoted this last episode, and this is kind of one of the quotes I'm going to use uh, through this leadership shift series. She said, leadership is not something you learn once and for all, but it is an ever evolving pattern of skills, talents, and ideas that grow and change as you do. It's an ever evolving, it's growing, it's changing, it's shifting. You just simply can't lead everybody the same, and you sure can't lead people now the way you did 10, 15, 20 years ago. So, what are some of those shifts that we need to make? And I've got just But there's a lot of them. But I mean, for sake of time, I've got three picked out. Uh, Two for sure we're going to get to. If we have time, we're going to get to the third one. One of those things, and this comes up a lot, and you, you think maybe this is the most obscure thing that I could ever pick to talk about, but I see it happen all the time. I see it happen at work. I see it happen at marriage. I see it happen across the board, is the way we encourage people. How do we encourage people? And, and you know, people like to receive appreciation and encouragement in different ways. I don't think we fully get that. And years ago, there was a book written called The Five Love Languages. And the authors of this book wrote the book because what they noticed through marriage counseling, and they were counselors, what they noticed through marriage counseling is that the way I like to receive love is the way I have a strong tendency to show love. But that's not at all how that person likes to receive love. It's not what makes them feel loved. And this is mind-boggling. Well, what are you talking about? Everybody likes gifts. Everybody likes whatever the love language is. Everybody likes that. And to go, well, no, not really everybody likes that. You see? So they wrote this book called The Five Love Languages to help couples understand that this may be how the other person likes to receive love. And this is what makes them feel loved. Well, Years go by, they rewrite the book, and they call it, I mean, the five love languages still exist, but this new book now is called The Five Appreciation Languages in the Workplace. Well, guess what? They're the same five languages. And so what they identify is the same thing is going on at work. What is one of the number one reasons? Turns out there's like eight or nine number one reasons why people leave a job. But this is one of the eight or nine reasons of why people leave a job. They don't feel appreciated. And, and and the key word there is feel. They don't feel appreciated. And a leader looks at me like, well, how on earth could they not feel appreciated? I praise them every single day. Yeah, you probably do. But is that what makes them feel appreciated? And it turns out, no, nah, probably not. So therefore, they don't feel appreciated. We don't flex our leadership enough. We don't practice curiosity enough to know what really is it that makes these people feel appreciated. So these five languages, real quick, because I know you're probably wondering um, what they are, and, and, and many people listening to this have probably heard these a lot, and you probably have them memorized maybe just about better than I do. But those five languages, one of them is acts of service. That people really feel appreciated when you jump in and you just help them. It, what, what's really weird is that you don't even have to help them. Sometimes you just have to offer to help them, now, here's the deal. If you think, well, that's good news because all I'm going to do is offer then because they're going to say no and then I'm going to be off the hook. Don't do that because if they say yes, you need jumping and help. So that that may actually backfire on you. But that acts of service, man, I know you got a lot going on, man. Is there any, Can I stay and help you? Hey, I know you're going to be here late, man. What can I help you do? And that the acts of service, just helping them, just doing things for them, you see? Another one is tangible gifts. Tangible gifts. Now, th- this is not like... Um that, this is my number 5. This is I don't want more stuff. I really don't want more stuff. And 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 people, you know, they, they give you stuff and tangible gifts, it's great. I understand the sentiment behind it. It's a wonderful thing. Um where I where I where I do like tangible gifts is when it is special to me. Then I'm like they paid attention and that's awesome. Do you see it? But when it's something like a plaque or a trophy, I don't, boomers love plaques, man. They love them. And so because boomers love plaques, they want to give everybody plaques. No, not everybody likes plaques. They don't want stuff hanging on their wall. What are you going to do with a plaque? Now, I I, I was just, uh, a few months ago, this was last November, I was in New Jersey. And I spoke at a place all day and the lady there, who's one of the absolute sweetest peoples in the world, by the way, <laughs> gave me a very large Starbucks gift card. And by large, I do not mean the size of it. I mean the amount of it. And I could not even load it all on my app at the same time. That's how. And so I, I, I thought that was, honest to God, one of the most generous things. Because she and her husband both know, I I frequent Starbucks, and I'm telling you, I have not bought my own Starbucks since November. Absolutely incredible. So that tangible gift, I love. Why? Because it was unique to me. Do you see it? And they paid attention, and they know that's unique to you. But plaques, and I just, tangible, some people like it. Some people, when you give them like a gift card, they will actually spend the gift card and keep the card as a reminder that they're appreciated. So, it's crazy. So, acts of service, tangible gifts, quality time. Quality time is one, man. Just spending time with people. And they love that. It makes them feel appreciated. And so, when it, you know, if you're a leader that you're... And what gets in the way of this again? Busy. So, if you're a leader that's constantly busy and you're not offering this quality time, because to you that's no big deal, but to them it is then that's going to show them or or, or, or maybe uh, uh, cause them to maybe feel unappreciated. Um, another one is words of affirmation. And whenever I go around the room and ask everybody, what is your number one? This is the number one, words of affirmation. But for most people, this is not just compliments. These are genuine words of encouragement that, that show value and that show the, the effect that the person has on the team or the organization. So it's not just these flowery comments like, hey, cool shirt you got on. That's not what it is. Or this one. Hey, great job doing that. That's not it. You can say that literally to anybody. But when you make it specific and you add value, make it specific and add value, show the value, make it specific. And, and I'm saying that a lot because I want you to get this. Make it specific and add the value to it. Changes the game. And then you're pointing out those unique character qualities that they have. And I know what some people are thinking listeners go like, I just don't know, man. I don't like it when people do that for me. Well, you might not, but they do. And so you gotta flex. You gotta flex. The fifth love language is physical touch. Now, I know that most of you listening to this, you're either at work or you're putting this in a work context, and you're going, oh, ho, ho. Hold on there a minute, speaker boy. That's not going to fly where I work. Well, yeah, I think it probably would. Now, don't get stupid with it, of course. Um, and don't do things illegal. That's probably not appropriate. But the physical touch. You know, the high five, the pat on the back, the the half hug. If you know them well, the full hug. Just that physical touch, man. I've had people tell me. I've had grown men, tough guys. I'm talking guys that drive trucks, wear boots, wear boots and shoot animals. These tough guys tell me that that's my number one. And they've told me stories about what people in the organization do sometimes. They just want the handshake, the fist bump, the high five, whatever it is. They love that. And that's what makes them feel appreciated. Now, here's the deal. If you're sitting there going like, oh, not me, man. I am just not a hugger. Well, guess what, leader? It ain't about you. It is just not about you. And therein lies some of the issue. You see this? It's what do they need to be the best version of themselves? What do they need to feel encouraged? And what do they need to feel appreciated? And that's one of the main things. This whole idea of encouragement is one of the main things I think we got to flex on. Because not everybody responds to the same thing. And not everybody feels appreciated or encouraged by the same stuff. I hope that's, I hope that's making sense and I hope that's landing. Here's another one. we got to flex in our communication. You got to flex in our communication. Um, this one, this one, I think we're pretty weak on, uh, because it, and what's interesting is that I hear from every organization, everywhere, communication needs to get better in our organization. Well, I'm like, I'm like, okay, well, what about communication needs to get better? Nobody can answer that question. They just say communication needs to get better. Well, I am under the belief that. It's because we don't flex our communication to communicate to people the way they need to be communicated to. And there's all kinds of different ways that people like to communicate. You see it? And listening goes along with this as well. And so how do people listen? Do you really know their listening style? So some people like to listen. They Man, they want all the information. You just, it, When they're listening to you, they want you to tell them everything. Other people, they want it chunked down, man. Too much is too much. Just chunk it down. You don't know that you could really screw it up. Some people are question askers while you're, you know, while you're while you're communicating to them. Don't, okay, hold on, hold on. Did I hear this right? Do you mean? Do you, are you saying that? And they're checking you out, right? And that's how they listen. You get frustrated because oh, they're interrupting me. No, they're trying to get clarification. You see, so understanding their listening style a little bit. So how do people listen and how do they take in information? Some people, when they listen, they like big picture down to details. Other people like details to big picture. So start with the details and then go to big picture. Some people like the details and don't even care about the big picture. Just tell me what you need me to do. That's all they need to know. Other people don't care about the details. They just want to know the big picture. So do I really know people's listening style? Then how do they communicate? Like when we're in a conversation, how does communication go? And this is one of the things that, honest to God, I just don't think we flex enough in in our communication. So i got four communication styles real quick. We're going to fly through these because, on again, this is one of the things we could spend a lot of time on. Um, so there are four. There's a relator. There's an analyzer. There's a director. And there's an initiator. And those of you listening to this, you've done colors with me before, the personality assessment. Uh, you probably are going to be able to put a color with each of these or a personality uh, trait with each one of these things, and you certainly can because I think as I walk through this, you're going to know exactly, if you're familiar with colors, you're going to know exactly which one is which. So the relator, first of all, this relator, they they love relationships, they're friendly, they, they, they hate conflict, and they hate tension. So anytime in our communication when there's conflict, even if it's not with us, the one I'm communicating to, But I'm bringing in conflict or bringing in some kind of tension. They immediately, it's tough for them. That's not how they want to communicate. They, they, they enjoy small talk. They love the small talk, man. How's your family doing? Yeah, where'd you go last night? Oh, you did. What'd you order? Oh, is that right? Man, I love that place. They love the small talk, man. And you're, I know some of you are going like, yeah, I just, I don't know. I just need to get down to business. Small talk. Guess what, leader? It ain't about you. It's about what you can do to help them. Be the best they can be. You see it? But they like that small talk. And they're sensitive to subtlety. So if in your communication there's little tones or you know eyebrow raises or flexion of any kind, they're going to pick up on that subtlety. That's just the nature of a relator and how they, how they communicate. Then we got the analyzer, man. They are almost just the opposite. These analyzers, they're thinkers. They like to analyze everything. They love the facts. They love the data. They're going to ask you facts and data questions, man, because that's how it helps them make their decisions. They're all kinds of... They're researchers. If you're communicating with them, they want to talk research. They want to talk information. You see this? They're not into small talk. They don't want to just come in my office, sit down, and let's get right to business. They don't want the small talk because small talk kind of just annoys them. This is... this is uh, and I don't know you know if you remember this show or not dragnet this is Sergeant Friday just the facts ma'am. just the facts ma'am and I, I never watched that show and I'm, I'm I don't remember I was too little when I did watch it but I remember just the facts ma'am just the facts ma'am And I remember thinking how rude like 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 here's somebody trying to here's somebody trying to have a conversation like hey how you doing Sergeant Friday just the facts ma'am just the facts ma'am And that's the analyzer man they were like just get down to business. I got way too much going on. I don't need to listen to all this small talk. You see, and they these people love the big picture, so they want to know why, and they're visionary, and they want to know um, they want to know the big picture. Then you have the director, the director man. They want to know they're, they're, they talk to them about results, and you've got them, because that's the way I like to communicate. You see, and and they want the details. These people love the details. They love order. So if you're communicating to them, and you're going like. All different directions, they are like frustrated beyond belief, right? And that's why this is one of the hardest ones for me to talk to. Because sometimes in my conversations, I'm not ordered in my conversation. I just like free-flowing conversation. But these people, man, they like that order. And, and and they they will consider the cost, they'll consider the bottom line, and they'll ask you questions about that. They like the rules. So they're gonna ask you about the rules. Well, how does this fit with this? And how does this fit with that? And they're very task oriented. They love to make lists. So if you show up in a conversation with them and you've got a list, man, you are their stinking hero. Give me your list. Let me see that list. You made a list for this conversation. You've won them. And then you have the initiators. The initiators are animated. They're energetic. They're spontaneous. <laughs> they love spontane- Oh. Here's what we ought to do. Listen to this. And you're like, we're kind of in the middle of a conversation right now. I know, but they had a thought. And if they don't tell you that thought right here, right now, that thought's going away. And if you ask them any analytical question about that thought, guess what's coming next? Another thought. You see it? And that's kind of the nature of, of initiator. They, um, they'll they interrupt you, man. And that bothers some people. They'll interrupt you because, again, if they don't, it's, it's not going to be there when you're done talking. And so they got to interrupt and they're, they're kind of all over the place sometimes when they talk. They they have they have these quick thoughts. Um, they like the small talk, but they like the small talk mixed with conversation. Whereas your relators sit down and start with small talk and then get to business. Not the initiators. They want small talk mixed with everything. And so in the middle of conversation, by the way, where did you eat dinner last night? And you go, are you kidding me? We're talking about this analytics and this metrics and this da-da-da-da-da-da-da. They go, yeah, I just was curious though. That's just the way they communicate, you see? How are you flexing your communication? How are you flexing your communication? And, and and it's tough. I'm not telling you it's easy. I'm telling you it's necessary, but it's tough to do this. So again, the easiest one for me, initiator. I feel like I am an initiator when I communicate. Uh, and and I, I sit and talk. I have a friend of mine. We were in Starbucks. This was several years ago. And uh, we had about a two-hour conversation and I'm pretty sure neither one of us finished a sentence the entire time. And it was just back and forth, back If anybody was listening to us, they're like, I don't even know what these people are doing. They're both schizophrenic probably. I don't know what's happening here. Like it was just back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. That's the way I communicate. But guess what? When i around somebody who doesn't communicate that way, I try my best to flex my communication based on what style they are and how they like to receive and how they like to to uh, communicate and how they like to have conversations. The other thing I think needs to flex is our coaching. I don't think everybody enjoys or responds well to the same kind of coaching as everybody else. And um, I, I think sometimes we try, this is why coaching is very, very difficult for me. Because I tell people all the time, my one-on-one coaching, and I'm, I'm asked this I'm asked this often. Do you do one-on-one coaching? Yes, I do. My one-on-one coaching, now this is going to probably not shock you, my one-on-one coaching is very conversation and question-oriented. Do you see it? Like I don't have this order of model thing that we go through. I don't have these set specific things. Some of my friends do, and they're very, very, very good at it. In fact, I believe they're way better at one-on-one coaching than I am, because they have this systematic model that they take people through. I don't have that. Um, I like the questions. I like the free-flowing conversation. Can I do the other? Yes, I can. But, man, it's a stretch. And so when I get these people that they want that, then I try my best to flex to that. But I like the free-flowing conversations. You see, I like the give me a question and then start from there. Now, once we start that then I can take and maybe apply some of the steps and the models to that. But how do people really like their coaching? You know, we try to coach people a lot. Now, now let's let's talk about two things here. Coaching in the workplace. First, um, some of them like very direct coaching, some of them like indirect coaching. By that I mean some of them just want to be told straight up, man, this is what you need to do, and this is how it's done. And they just want you to be very honest and very direct. Other people don't. Man, they want you to go kind of go around the block a little bit, you know, and soften it up a little bit. I got to know that because some people have a hard time. Man, they're just, bam, they're just direct. And uh, that doesn't always work well with everybody. Some people like to be, you got to show them what to do. They love that. Other people like to be told how to do something. Do you see it? So I got to know that. Like, what is their learning style? How do they want to be coached? You want me to show you this or let me to tell you this? They go, no, I'm very audible. So if you would just... uh tell me this, then I can go do it. Other people go, no, they want to be shown how to do it. You see, now there's strength in both, obviously, and I'm not saying just do one or the other. You can do both, but what's going to resonate with people the the most? Uh, As I said earlier, some people, I said earlier, you know, with listening style and the same thing with coaching, some people want all the information at once, and some people just want a little bit of the time. So what is their coaching style, and what do they need? I coached Many of you know this. I coached youth football for a long time, coached high school football for a little bit. And I'm telling you, man, it it's, and I've coached baseball, coached a little bit of basketball. Football is just a different animal. It's just, it's highly emotional. And it's hard, man. It's hard to not express the emotion in football, even at practice. But you can really do damage sometimes because, you know, I get these guys that coach Little League with us and man, they yell and scream a lot, you know. Well, some kids will respond well to that. Other kids are not going to respond well to that at all. And if you don't understand who is and who isn't, then you're going to do damage. So we got to flex in our coaching as well. So we flex in our encouragement, we flex in our communication, we flex in our coaching. Again, as I said earlier, there's so many other things that we could flex on. It goes on and on and on. Uh, for sake of time, that's where I'm going to stop. So I got three kids. I got, um, you know, they're all obviously adults now. And, um, but raising them, man, I, I could not parent them all the same. Deb and I could not parent them the same. They did not respond to the same thing. Blake, my oldest boy, middle child, he is, um, he's pretty tender hearted. And any time when he was a kid, he would do something stupid, which was pretty often, If we would just say, Blake, you know what? That really disappoints me. Man, I mean, the tears would flow and he's like, I am sorry. He did not want to disappoint. And we learned because I'm telling you, so Blake, Blake was a very fat baby. We are all fat babies, but Blake was a very fat baby. And so, you know, when you got a lot of butt and you got a lot of diaper and you deliver that swat, it means nothing. And he would laugh. He thought it was a joke. Said, dude, this is not a joke. But anytime we'd say, Blake, that really disappoints me. That's what worked with him. And so that's what we learned. We said, that SWAT is not going to work with him. But this, telling him that this is disappointing, that works. You see it? My daughter, not quite so much. If I say to her, you know what, Tristan? That really disappoints me. She'd turn around and say, Dad, you know what? You'll probably get over it. It'll be all right. So, okay. <laughs> that's not, Clearly, that's not going to work. But the little SWAT, just I'm talking the little tiny, just the little, that really is all it took. You know, I don't know if you heard that. That's all it took. I'm telling you, she's mismaturity for the next three days, man. It all goes away. And she's, you know, was over dramatic about it anyway. She was a cheerleader and all that goes along with it as well. And it's like, that worked with her. My son, Jordan, my youngest, highly motivated by money. And all we had to do is pay the kid and he pretty much do anything you need him to do. And so, like, I coached him in, in, in football, you know, and he was in sixth grade this particular year and he, He's playing linebacker, and uh, he wasn't making all the tackles he should have been making. I said, Joe, listen to me. Second half, I'll give you a quarter for every tackle you make. The kid went nuts. He's tackling their team, our team. Parents are going down. Referees are going down. He's collecting the money, man. He's keeping track. And he knew, too. said, oh, I think you kind of missed the point there, buddy. But that money man, that was his that worked with him. It did not work with the other two. They just didn't care. So, here's the deal. My parenting principles, the principles never changed. But the practice has to change and it has to shift and flex into what is going to work for this particular person at this particular time.